Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post politics podcast. I'm Ned Simons and I'm joined by Martha Gill, Aubrey Allegretti and Paul War. So a couple of hours ago, the High Court ruled that MPs must be given a vote on triggering Article 50, the process of leaving the EU. Theresa May had wanted to just do it herself. Obviously, Brexiteers have gone a bit nuts about this. Before we talk about it, though, I want to play a clip of Boris Johnson telling the Spectator Awards last night that the government would make a titanic success of Brexit. Uh, I, I believe they understand that Brexit means Brexit and we are going to make a titanic, a titanic success of it. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank and I thank you very, very much to the Titanic sang. Thank you very much. And I and to those of you to and I, I the, the Chancellor the, the former Chancellor has just has just does he not know does he not know that the Titanic exhibition in Northern Ireland is the single most popular tourist attraction in in the province not quite sure that's what he should have said to be honest um so uh, Paul this court decision today was kind of unexpected I, I think um, well not unexpected from those who were in the court I mean I talked <laughs> to know they're talking about you <laughs> <laughs> unlike I, me yeah. I, I, the, I, the, there was a guy called jo- Jolian Moore who's a, a barrister who blogs a lot and he was in court for every day and he predicted this outcome and no one listened to him everyone said no no you're crazy and he said actually I've been listening to what the Lord Chief Justice has been saying and you can pick up clues in court and he felt actually this was going to happen um some very senior people in Westminster certainly didn't think it was going to happen. Number 10 was surprised. A lot of people were surprised. But obviously, it's a massive, uh, significant judgment because it's got constitutional implications. You know, are the courts overruling the people? That's what this is going to come down to ultimately. And that's why when it goes, the government have appealed and it goes to the Supreme Court, I imagine that will be the big thing that weighs on the Supreme Court's mind. Are we, as judges, going against the will of the people? Now, of course, they're only verdict has to be an interpretation of the law. What does the law say? And as experts in the law, today, that's what the court decided, that Parliament should have a say. Um, But the politics is fascinating, not the law um, so much. And already today you had Tim Farron coming out saying, look, this boils down to the fact that people in that referendum voted for departure. They didn't vote for a particular destination. Now, that, that sounds a bit like um, I'm not quite sure he's got it right, but it does sound like, look, what we did as British people in this in this referendum was it's like a, a couple splitting up and one person decides, right, I'm off and slams the door. I'm off. You don't really know where you're going when you make that decision. <laughs> you're just so annoyed that you slam the door and you're right, I'm going. And then you look around and you think, oh, God, where am I going? But we are going there, aren't we? I mean, Martha, like, it seems very unlikely to me that... MPs are actually going to vote Brexit down. You've got a lot of these Brexiteers saying, oh, this is, you know, they're trying to, this is a stitch up. You've got Nigel Farage saying he's, he's sniffing betrayal in the air. But they're not going to vote against Brexit, are they? Well, there are actually a, a majority of Remainers hmm. um, in Parliament. So 
they could vote to block it. Um, this certainly allows them the the scope to do so. I should think it would be quite unlikely, just because um, a lot of them uh, have been saying over the last few weeks, particularly that. Um, they agree that Brexit means Brexit and that we're going. Um, and also they might uh, consider in their, the, in their constituencies, it wouldn't be a very good idea for them uh, to, to go against the wishes of most of their constituents. Um, but, 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 but there is the possibility, it is there. I guess like the, the main thing we're going to get from this, it puts pressure on, on the government to reveal their plan, doesn't it? It's, you know, up until this point, they didn't have to really say what they were going to do and what this end destination was. Now, mm. kind of, the MPs can hold their feet to the fire a bit about what's what the what actual... That's what a lot of the Remainers are thinking today. They're hopeful that this forces the government to show what, it, what it's mm. going to say. Personally, I don't think Theresa May is going to give much detail. I think, actually, this puts the onus on Labour to say what it wants, what its red lines are. Because if you're Theresa May, all you have to do now is publish a simple bill saying, this government, this house and both houses of parliament agrees that the prime minister should be allowed to trigger article 50 and keep it very simple. It could even be a two line bill um, and you don't have to say when it's up to the prime minister and you don't have to say what's in it. So the challenge will be to those who want to amend this bill, i.e. the people who are Eurosceptics or the Remainers. And I suspect that neither of them really knows what they want yet. And so as a result, May is in a stronger position than you think. And don't forget the parliamentary arithmetic. The government has a working majority of 14 at the moment. OK, but if you add in the DUP, who have definitely very, very pro-Brexit, it goes up to a majority of about 20, or 22, actually, because they've got eight MPs. So if you've got a majority of 22, that suggests the only way this can be overturned or amended in favour of a so-called soft Brexit um, is if you know, about 10 Tor or 11 Tory MPs defy their government and public opinion to join with a solid Labour Party. I can't see that happening. Exactly. Ken Isn't Clark, it? maybe. Nicky Morgan, well, I'm not sure. Ken Clark has Are said really he will... 11 of them? Ken Clark has said he will vote against it. Yeah. Um, and the other day he was giving a speech and he said, you know, after all his career of being this massive pro-European Union guy, he's not going to, as one of his last yeah. kind of big votes change his mind yeah but, and I he's mean, not standing but, at the next election exactly right? exactly but i mean isn't that you know this is what they wanted i mean aubrey there's got these brexiteers who spent all their careers fighting for parliamentary sovereignty and now they're annoyed that it's happening i mean you were looking into some of the things they were they were saying today yeah it's been quite interesting to witness the the transformation that some of them have undergone um certainly from arguing for years and years and years that parliament should ultimately be the arbiter of democracy and law and enforcement and it seems very strange now that they've backtracked and are actually quite nervous about the fact that this has gone to going to MPs. So um, you've got figures like Suzanne Evans and Nigel Farage really, really clearly upset about it, who spent the majority of the EU referendum campaign saying very clearly, this is about parliamentary sovereignty. This is about returning power to our MPs. Um, there's, there's Conservative MPs that are equally as annoyed as well today. Um, David Davies, um, he certainly was complaining and you know saying that people were going to rise up against it or you know that it was really angry and it seems so strange now that after all these months campaigning that they suddenly yeah. seem to have yeah i mean even it. jacob reese mogg you know this is supposed to be this you know caricature of a guy who says parliament comes first <laughs> as, as today complained about the judges 
And it's interesting. I th- if I were the court, I would have actually said at the beginning of this verdict, just to make it user-friendly and get a headline, I would have said, forget Brexit means Brexit. Parliamentary sovereignty means parliamentary sovereignty. And that would have been, that's really what's the outcome of this verdict today. And it's interesting, as Bree says, you know, there's a lot of people, not just in UKIP, but a lot of Tories, constitutional Tories who believe putting Parliament first, who've actually thought, oh, God, you know, maybe this isn't in our interest. But I think May could have done this differently. If I were Theresa May, wind back the clock to when she took over, I think what she should have done, she should have taken the bull by the horns and said, right, we... The people have decided, by an hour majority, on Brexit. We, as a new government, are going to make a break with the Cameron Pass. We're going to have a bill which will give Parliament a say to enact what the public have just done. Because we do believe in parliamentary sovereignty, and we think that no MP will defy the will of the people. And if she'd done that very early on, just in the, in the, in the first crush afterwards, it. it would have locked MPs and Parliament. And the Lords certainly won't defy it, and unelected Lords, that looks pretty bad. Mm. So the MP, as, as I say, you go back to the arithmetic as well. With the UP on her side, that would have been pretty powerful. She could have made a break with Cameron, and she could have done what people like Rhys Mogg and Peter Bone and even David Davis has long argued, which is Parliament comes first. I think it would have been canny. It would have avoided the court case. It would have been pretty smart. Um, and it would have got her what she wants. Yeah. Okay, quiz time. Um, <laughs> this is... It's it's really, really good. Um, <laughs> no, no, so, it sounds good. So, <laughs> today, the Collins Dictionary released its top 10 words of the year. Um, I'm going to give you some of these words. Some of them are in the top 10. If they are... Just to say, are they yeah. remotely political? Are they new, uh, they're new words. It's added. Yeah, this they're kind year. of like re- yeah, like they're new words of the year. Can they say what Brexit um, means. Brexit means. <laughs> so, um, so if they, are, I haven't got a clever name for this quiz. So if they're in it, just say yeah. Um, and some of these aren't in it at all. Um, so no. <laughs> okay, so the first one, Brexit. Yeah, definitely. Got to be in there. Yeah, well, that was number one. That's the the word of the year. How about? Um, throw shade. Ooh, oh, that, is this the Collins not, Dictionary? You it say? is, yeah. But that's quite. Oh, that's not. That, <laughs> like, that wasn't. It was the, the Oxford Dictionary. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I reckon that would have been in there before. No, yeah, I don't think so. Maybe Urban Dictionary. I think the but. reason I ask that is because Collins Dictionary are, are, are much more open to sort of you know curveballs than the Oxford, Oxford Dictionary. You know, they they're sticklers. I think throw shade would be in it. Yeah, it is. Paul's right. Oh, so, okay, how about? Deliver rude. Ooh, as a verb. Deliver rude. Yeah. I've been deliver rude. No, no, absolutely not. No. Yeah, I, I agree. It's not. I've yeah, no, I, 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 I made that one up. Um, <laughs> sheeple. What does that even mean? No. You haven't heard of sheeple. Wake up, no. sheeple. Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> sheeple. <laughs> Is that? Have you, have you looked I've at any comments under that. any Daily Mail article? No. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys, Martha. Um, yeah, yeah. No. I'm going to say no because I've not heard of it. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh. It's not at all. Okay, um, okay. and okay, I'll do one more. Um, Sharenting. <laughs> oh, God. Sharenting. It sounds so <laughs> mad that I think yeah. it must be true. <laughs> Go on. Come on, someone. I mean, this is talking about share parental leave, no. isn't it? Which kind of sort of came into force this year. So maybe people are talking. I haven't heard that phrase before. No, me neither. Uh, I'm going to say... I don't want it to exist. Okay, Mark says no. Yes. Three. I'm going with no. No. It is, yeah. 
It's um, it actually means the habitual use of social media to share news images uh. of one's children. Oh so, God, yeah, which is which really is dreadful. Really annoying. I really hate it. Never do it myself. You have noticed I never do that. True. Good. Also, this week, John Chilcott of the Chilcott Report into the Iraq war fame was in front of MPs. Uh, he accused Tony Blair of going beyond the facts in a way that caused long-term damage to public trust in politics. Here's a clip of him speaking. I think when <coughs> the government or the leader of a government um, presents a case with all the powers of advocacy that he or she can command and in doing so goes beyond what the facts of the case and the basic analysis of the facts can support, then it does damage politics, yes. Paul, you were there. Um, do we know anything new? I mean, from beyond what he said when the report came out, obviously that was a, it's a, a very big... good question. I mean, a lot of people wonder why on earth was this select committee mm. hearing happening at all? It was the liaison committee. All the grandees from all the select committees were there to ask um, John Chilcott further questions on the back of his report. Now, he's been completely silent since he published his report in July. And he said at the end of it, look, I'm not going to elaborate on it. That's it. He did no interviews afterwards. He just said the report speaks for itself. And fair enough, 2.6 million words do speak for themselves. So um, we've had a summer for people to digest it. But I think it was quite good yesterday's hearing because what happened was he got pushed on some things he'd not done in the report conclusions. So he got pushed on things that are basically politics rather than the history of the war or the failures of Tony Blair. And one of those bigger political questions is what's been the impact on our politics? What's been the impact on public trust? And Tari was very good at pinning him down on that and he got the answer you just heard, which is Essentially, even a civil servant like uh, or ex-civil servant like John Chilcott could not avoid the conclusion that Tony Blair and the way he'd spun the war in Parliament had undermined the public's confidence in politics as a whole. It's quite a big, big conclusion to make. Um, and if Chilcott, you know, Mr. Deliberate, Mr. Cautious mm. can say that, then you think, well, yeah, there's something in it. And there's a very link here with Brexit. I mean, everything has a link with Brexit now. And you interviewed John Greenstock, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Greenstock. Uh, he was our ambassador to the UN. Um, and you interviewed him. He said that kind of thing. That there was this link between the undermining of public trust then yeah. and what, what ended up being the result. What he went much further than, than Chilcott even because um, when I talked to him, he's got this new book out, Iraq, The Cost of War. And it's a very, very detailed book written in 2005, really interestingly. So it's, it's a contemporary account of just how uh, the land lay in, in immediate aftermath of the war. And it's got lots of detail about how he was involved in the UN process, getting a UN resolution, how he went out to Iraq after, after the aftermath of the war and how the Americans were running everything. So he's, he's a smart guy, but also he's been plugged in. And what was interesting is that the normally loyal Greenstock, who doesn't think that Blair lied over WMD, he's not one of those people. He said, look, I do accept, actually, that there is a long-term corrosion of public trust given the way Blair ignored the people. Now, he says, you know, there are millions of people on the streets marching against the war, they're ignored. But more, more broadly than that, he said that Blair turned into a sort of American vice president rather than the British prime minister. And that's what really upset people. So that's his bigger point, which is he, he used American arguments, regime change rather than containment, uh, an American um, justification for the war rather than British ones or British interests when there was no British interest threatened directly. And that's a, a big point to make. But I think the interesting thing is that Having having said that, he then goes on to say, well, actually, I've been talking to people because, you know, he's a global figure. He's a globetrotter. He's just come back from Japan. He's been in America. And he said they're all worried about Brexit and they're all they can't understand Brexit. 
And he says, look, well, to understand it, you have to understand the long-term effects of what Tony Blair did in the, in the Iraq war, how most people thought the establishment aren't listening to us, the toffs up there are out of touch mm. with us. And he felt that ultimately that just bubbled along, bubbled along with all sorts of other things feeding in and helped fuel the Brexit vote. It didn't say it's a direct link, but he said it's one of the well, reasons. Well, it's a good thing that Blair's been so quiet recently then, isn't still talking, <laughs> oh, wait, okay, he still sort of um, <laughs> carries on. I think also now, I think we could talk about something that's kind of embarrassing by Brexit. Now, it's such the big topic all the time. You kind of miss stuff. And NHS spending is one of those things. And Martha, um, you were writing this week about the kind of government's claim that they're spending all this money on the health service, whereas other people are saying, no, you're not. Um, tell me actually what's happening, because I didn't see what's going on. Um, so the government have this line that they they gave the uh, the NHS asked for eight billion pounds and they gave it ten billion pounds, um, and they've kind of stuck to that, which is uh, surprising because there was quite a damning report that came out um, a bit earlier on this year from from the Health Select Committee, which sort of uh, had a look at what they'd done to with the actual figures to get to that figure, and they'd done all kinds of things like move money from one part of the NHS and put it in another part of the NHS and call that bit the NHS right. and then um, and 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 kind of extend the period of funding to include money which was included in the last spending review which is not something any other department does um, and what's interesting about what happened this week is um, Jeremy Hunt uh, sort of has now admitted to, to doing both of those things right. with the figures but still sticks by his uh, 10 billion uh, right, so he's admitted the thing he's so, doing so is a bit he's dodged. He's admitted but sort of what he's doing, but he still he still kind of reasserts that it is ten billion. They're giving it ten billion. And he says it's not our figure. That's his that's his get out. Uh, it's not my figure. It's NHS England's figure, doesn't he? I mean, that's his <laughs> opt out. Which is yeah, I mean, so odd. NHS England is the bit of the NHS which is sort of uh, which has got that money from. Te he's taken from other bits of the NHS uh, which deal with things like doctor training, nurse training, uh, sort of public health services, and and put it into the NHS England, which is a newly created body which just deals with frontline services. So so they kind of have got, they've got to... Anyway, this is all, this this quibbling is sort of disguises the main thing which is happening with the NHS, which Jeremy Hunt acknowledges is happening as well, which is the huge cost of social care, um, which is rising and rising and rising um, and has had huge cuts in it. And uh, and it's it's draining money out of the NHS, and everyone agrees that they're going to have to do something about that, otherwise they're heading for a, a big crisis. Well, it's good we're getting that 350 million back from the EU every day to spend. <laughs> <laughs> that's <true. laughs> well, that's why I thought it was a bit strange that Jeremy Corbyn didn't raise this in PMQs. He raised it last week, this 10 billion figure, um, and he's on to something. You know, there's no question. You've got a select committee, you've got the King's Fund, you've got lots of independent experts saying this this figure isn't right. Um, then it, he should have thought felt forward it up because of what Hunt said on Monday had updated since last Wednesday's PMQs. So Hunt effectively, as Martha says, effectively held up his hands and said, yeah, that 10 billion figure, actually, it kind of includes all these social care cuts that we're committing. And Corbyn could have really pushed that hard. It's a big issue that's going to affect lots and lots of people, social care. It might sound like a really dry subject and no one thinks, oh God, that's my granny. And you don't really think that far down the track, but it's a massive, massive cost to the taxpayer. And he could have, he could have pushed it a bit further, I thought. Yeah. But okay. I mean, yeah. He didn't. He didn't. <laughs> Jamie Corbyn in not amazing at PMQs. Shocker. <laughs> well, it's all about being an effective opposition, isn't it, ultimately? Mm. And look, yet again this week we had 
dire opinion polls for Labour. You know, what was the the, the gap was enormous again this week. I think week. they'd surged to a 14-point deficit. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. So you had at least three polls this week showing a big Tory lead. In the in the presence of that big Tory lead, what you've got to do as Jeremy Corbyn is at least showing you throwing some and landing some punches in Parliament. So I think PMQs is important. He had not a bad PMQs to be fair, but he could have pushed on on the NHS, particularly because the autumn statement's coming up. And there were hints this week from Number Ten, no more than hints that maybe just maybe there might be some more money for the NHS in the autumn statement. Now if Corbyn had gone on record saying we demand more money from the NHS in the autumn statement, and then later that's what happens. He could say, look, I've got a victory. This is effective yeah, yeah. opposition in, 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 in reality. This is what happens in practice. And it would have been a more kind of a believable um, example of a, of a Corbyn victory than some of the others, which sometimes were just things that happened at the same time as him being around. <laughs> Almost like a coincidence. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, I'm going to leave you now with a clip of Barack Obama speaking to a crowd in North Carolina, um, trying to kind of G up the vote. It's five days to the election. Good luck, everyone. You've got some Republicans in Congress who are already suggesting they will impeach Hillary. She hasn't even been elected yet. It doesn't matter what evidence, they just, they'll find something. That's what they're saying already. How can, how does our democracy function like that? When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.